0: And we're here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. Thanks for tuning in. Nick McNamara in studio for Brandon Peoples today. And as p- just some programming notes, we have a broad show for you today. Later in the sort of second half of the show, we're going to be speaking with folks from the Manhattan Housing Authority. But first, we have our monthly or at least semi monthly visit with Fort Riley folks. And we're going to be talking about Big Red One's Year of Family in studio. We have with us Major Scott Rowett and Major Robert Castor. Uh, Major Scott, Major, Major Scott Rowett, thanks for being here, sir. Nick, thanks for having us. It appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And Major Castor, always appreciate it as well.
1: Thanks, thank you, appreciate
0: it. And we got a little chance to catch up here. There's some common ties from out of the state, which is interesting. Always fun to have other California-related people here. So it's always nice uh, to get a chance to catch up on that regards. And we're going to be talking about Year of Family here. And uh, in the second half of our visit with Fort Riley, we'll be talking about the uh, some safety campaigns going on as well and injury prevention awareness. Um, but first, we're going to be talking about Big Red One's Year of Family and uh, doing some prep work before we got on air. There's numerous different dimensions to this. There's physical dimensions. There's spiritual dimensions to the focuses of Year of Family. But here specifically, you're both here to talk about the social and the emotional aspects of strength in Year of Family. So let's start with uh, Major Roa and talk about sort of your role here in in what This all means,
2: yeah, Nick. Absolutely. So, the social dimension of strength. I'm actually covering down uh, one of our original social dimension of strength leads, Jeff West, had to forward deploy to Poland uh, to support the uh, the ongoing crisis there. So, I I have the privilege of covering down. Uh, But really, social dimension of strength. It's developing and maintaining trusted, uh, valued relationships and friendships that are personally fulfilling foster good communication and include a comfortable exchange of ideas and really I mean in the military that's what we look for not only among ourselves but within our families Uh, so as part of that um, I'm lucky enough because I like to think I'm a social guy Bobby and I always joke around a lot Um, and so uh, it's nice to be able to support that dimension of strength.
0: Definitely. And I'll turn it over to you. I kind of want to go back and forth on this. I don't want to focus in on one side more than the other. But um, tell me about your sort of role in this as well. You're on more of the emotional aspect of strength.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I think I got tasked because they say I'm a pretty emotional person. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so as the emotional strength lead, uh, we focus more on a lot of things that um, generally are, aren't as highlighted um, in the daily lives in the military. And um, a lot of things we focus on is supporting mental health and wellbeing, as well being, as well as learning, uh, like mental skills that help you with performance and dealing with life's challenges. It's probably the best way of putting it.
0: Yeah, sounds good. And, um, as we're talking about this, this is all centered around year of family, and that's kind of how it's framed and focused. And, um, I know that there's a lot of people with families in the military and in the army, particularly, but, uh, in regards to this uh, focus this year. Uh, if you're if you, if you, perhaps if you're not a family man, or if maybe you're just a, a, a kid rather than someone with a, bir- a blossoming family of yourself, how can you get involved in either element of this uh, of this focus?
2: Yeah, a- absolutely. So I mean, that was one of our main charges uh, when we developed this program originally was to be as inclusive and possible or as possible, uh, not only just a nuclear family, but you know, there's all types of families, especially those in the military. Um, so really, I mean, it can be anything from a uh, soldier's parents that are supporting them from afar. Um, you know, they may live in North Dakota, but they send care packages to Poland and, and support them there. Um, but really, you know, when when we start talking um, other, you know, uh, Single soldiers or or young family members. We just recognized uh, an eight-year-old boy as part of our first family recognition ceremony for cleaning up uh, trash around his neighborhood and being a good community member. And that was part of our first quarter series. When it comes to single soldiers, we have a lot of great events that are incorporated into that. We have Rockin' Riley, which is a food truck event that the MWR is hosting uh, morale, Welfare, and Recreation is hosting on twenty third of June, and they'll, you know, be food, band, drinks, and uh, there'll be a bus that will uh, support soldiers moving up from Custer Hill down to the event at the uh, the exchange. Uh, MWR is also hosting the Kansas City Royals um, event. They're they're taking the bus, MWR bus, straight out to the the stadium, and driving them back. So we're really excited about all the uh, the opportunities that not only the garrison uh, supports, but also the divisions providing those those family members.
0: And, and Major Caster. Um, as, as we talk with folks from the military and army here fairly regularly, we hear about the stresses, we hear about the demands just on the lives of folks. How can people, and you know, as, as single soldiers, you don't maybe have the same support system that someone with maybe a wife at home or a partner at home might have or kids and the such. Um, how could a single soldier, as we're discussing, get involved in this program on the emotional side?
1: So there's a couple of different ways that we go about this. Um, every uh, within one ID and the garrison on Fort Riley, um, every unit has a representative that is part of our uh, the Big Red One era family. So uh, we have weekly meetings um, where it it got to be have so many participants that we actually had to go online just because there's not a place where we can put everybody in there um and with this we've integrated not just the the unit reps but family members um like spouses um both male and female um soldiers from all the different units um so having that as basically a representative you you always have a touch point within every unit and they are like basically daily push, pushing out information for all the different types of events. Um, we, we're on social media, we do flyers, we have people that, I mean by word of mouth, um, things that like little flyers that have actually been put on the ground um, for when people walk into our commissary or PX. So um, we have a website as well uh, where it is regularly updated so we have a lot of different ways to notify every soldier and family within a division of all the events that we do have.
0: and. I I just kind of want to get a little more... I guess perspective on your opinions on what what makes focusing on this at this time of year perhaps so important um, on both elements social and emotional uh, and we'll start with Major Rowett but what makes it so important to do this now what, is there a timeliness element to this or um, is it just sort of a yearly thing that comes up and uh, it's a good just a good time to bring these back into focus?
2: No, I mean uh, in the military and the army specifically, people first is really our primary goal. Um, we we have a very complex mission set that the nation has charged us to to pursue. Uh, in defending our nation. And at the cornerstone of that is the family. Um, before anyone deploys, it's that strong family that's supporting that soldier uh, and that community that is able to you know, allow them to go carefree forward and, and you know, serve the nation. Um, so that's really the, the why w- w- the focus uh, is on the family. But I, I would say it wasn't just this year. I think we've always done it, but here we're we're really trying to bring everything to, together, and we're, we're building an enterprise that can leverage all those assets into a cohesive uh, uh, plan. And it, it, it seems to be working. We're, we're getting great feedback on it, um, and I think the timing is also good. I mean, we're we're still within COVID, uh, but you know, for two years from a social dimension of strength lead um, for two years social was lacking, and, and to be able to really bring people back into the community and the outreach is key and, and get back to, you know, a, a normal, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, um, I think is very important.
0: Yeah, as close as you can, at the very least. Yeah, and absolutely. As we talk about lacking social social situations, it, it bleeds over into the emotional side too. It's all kind of connected here. And I'll turn the question over to you then, Major Castor. What, uh, talk about sort of the importance of this focus uh, now.
1: Um, so, and touching on Scott's point when he talks about, like with COVID and how it's impacted. impacted, um, with within the military, we still had daily interaction with all of the people we work with. Maybe not as much outside of it, but at work, we're still around all the people that we every day. Um, the families actually were the ones that were impacted more by this, especially children, um, school-age children. where, I mean, you know, when we were growing up, I mean, playing the streets, you know, you're always out with friends, school, sports. Um, that stopped for a good portion of two years. Um, so the the from the emotional side, I mean, we have many ways to go about this, but, I mean, a lot of different programs um, that were, and it helps all ages. So um, I, th- I think from doing it, like this year just comes at a perfect time. It's a way of helping integrate everybody back into the regular daily lives that we always, I guess you could say we took, took for granted. But, um, yeah, with where we're at now, I, th- I think it's great.
0: And as, as we approach, uh, various events are coming up. Um, tell me a little bit about how people can keep, a, keep apprised of what's going on uh, in, in various elements of the program. Um, if people want to get involved or check it out, where can they go to find more out? Where will you be advertising these things?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, our garrison and division PAO team are outstanding. They, they put everything um, not only on the division Instagram account and the uh, Fort Riley garrison page on Facebook. Uh, those are uh, one you know on social media where people can find it we also have big red one year family website which routinely is updated with upcoming events and shows a lot of our events and initiatives that are coming so that's from the 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 digital side I would say word of mouth and your your chain of command um, and community members uh, is really they're going to be the the ones that you know provide that that hey I went to this guest speaker and it was great love to have you come and join me at the next one
0: and we're running short on time, but I want to turn it over to Major Caster again to give you a chance to talk about some of the events that are coming up, and then we'll close it out with Major Roet talking about some events on the social side too.
1: Um, so from on the emotional strength side, um, like a lot of our events are just because of the aspect of, of what it focuses on. Um, tend to, it's not going to be as numerous, just getting people together to go do things. So they're they're more planned out so um a couple of them that were on the highlight is like we're looking at having a disc golf slash family fair um uh, there's going to be a high ropes event um and a mental resiliency panel um so and and with these they cover different aspects of emotional strength um whether it's like introducing people to available resources uh that we have out there um Confidence building events, uh, working on uh, mental resiliency. So it's it's just coming at it from different ways to, and just trying to introduce that to everybody. So.
0: And Major Rowett, um, tell me a little bit about some of the events on the social side Then you have. I know you touched on a few of them earlier, but it, as we're closing, out, it would be good to remind folks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, even this weekend, uh, our Dagger Brigade is hosting a uh, trail cleanup on Fort Riley. So come together with your community and, and improve, you know, pick up some uh, trash along some of the various trails that we all use every single day. Um, we have a great guest speakers planned for the next two weeks. Uh, Mr. Chad Robeshaw is coming on Monday to speak to families, a pretty powerful topic and then Mr. Mark Fogle will do another one on the 25th of May, uh, and that will be at the Fort Riley Youth Center. And really, that's, that's gathering as a community and, and discussing ideas and having um, you know some some talks and hard discussions on uh, how we can continue to grow. So all, all those are going to be some upcoming events that people should look out for.
0: And we've been talking about big red ones. You're a family going on. Um, if you want to check any of these things out be on social media or ask around if you're on post ask around talk to your command and I'm sure you'll be able to get in touch with people and of course um, spread this uh, spread this episode around to those who may want to get involved too that could be another way to spread the word of mouth out there uh, major roat major caster always appreciate it thank you so much for coming out
2: nick thanks for having us
0: thanks. all right and we're going to transition over to another conversation about Fort Riley affairs going on coming up next on in focus news radio KMAN and we're back here on in focus news radio KMAN Nick McNamara here in studio and we're going to change topics to talk about 100 days of summer safety and in studio we have with us Fort Riley Garrison Safety Office uh, or from the Fort Riley Garrison Safety Office Linda Ward. Linda thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course and also on Zoom with us we have from uh, Kansas Traffic Safety Resource Office uh, Lori Moriarty. So Lori thanks for being here too.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Perfect. And we're talking about uh, 102 days of summer safety. Uh, the Garrison office is hosting a safety awareness injury prevention campaign, and that takes place May 25th and 26th. It's promoting safety, summer safety, between Memorial Day and Labor Day. And um, I'm going to start off with Linda here in studio and ask kind of what the, the whole fair is about, how it got started, and just kind of what the focus is.
4: So traditionally we see more off-duty accidents occur when we roll into this spring and summer months. And so we've kind of taken this time to step back and find unique and fun ways to engage with our civilian workforce, our soldiers and civilians and family members, and say, you know, take a look at what you're doing out there. Everybody's important. We need you here. You're an important member of our team. And let's find a way to acknowledge that and give you the tools to be able to find a way to protect you so that we can have you here back and ready to go when we need you at the work day.
0: Yeah, uh, readiness is always a topic you hear about surrounding the Army, the military in general, and having having fun off duty is very important. You need that, as we were talking in the previous segment, social and emotional strength and wellness are very important things, but you also have to be ready to go when it's time to go.
4: Absolutely, and and each and every person is a part of that team, And, and to be able to support our soldiers our civilian workforce needs to be at the job and able to perform as well.
0: And as we talk about this uh, campaign coming up, uh, when people come out, what what is exactly going to be there? What type of uh, activities, what type of uh, educational opportunities will be there?
4: So we have something for just about everybody out there. So um, we have uh, employees, soldiers, young, old. We're looking at boats, vehicle extraction demonstrations. We have our Sydney carts out there, so you'll be able to to see those. They haven't been out for quite some time. The Red Cross. Think about work safety stuff. We're looking at uh, home safety and stuff and recreational safety. Also, uh, we have all sorts of raffles going on. We're going to be giving away bicycles. We're going to be giving away car seats. We're giving away bicycle helmets, just to name a few items. So if you walk away from our safety fair empty-handed, I'm, I'm not sure if you were in the right place.
0: <laughs> and there's going to be numerous different organizations uh, with those types of giveaways, with freebies, with information as well. Who, are, who all will be participating? I know one of the organizations that well as we have her online.
4: Absolutely. In fact, uh, we have over, at my last count, over 32 different agencies are actually supporting our event this year. So I I certainly can't name them all sitting here in the studio with you today. I would definitely like to because they deserve recognition for sure. Um, Some of our new uh, agencies that are going to be out there are going to have Evergy, and I'm really excited to see them because they're going to be doing the uh, high voltage energy demonstrations with their trailer out there, which will be super neat and interesting for the first time. The fire department is going to have their smokehouse that you can walk through. They have a trailer out there that will be super neat. City cycle sales. We see lots of motorcycles out there on the road. Weather's perfect for it. They're going to have a full-size motorcycle simulator out there for you to give it a try. Um, The Fort Riley Utility Service is actually going to have their um, robotic cameras running around out there, which I think is going to be unique. We never see that kind of stuff. So it'll be a cool things to take a look oh, that's, at.
0: That's, cla- that's cool. I really like that. That's interesting.
4: Absolutely. Uh, One Gas with Kid Meter exhibits. And Granger is going to be out there for the first time as well with all sorts of tools and safety equipment. And then, of course, Lori out there with the Kansas Traffic Safety Resource is going to bring all sorts of goodies and all sorts of folks with her as well.
0: Yeah, and as a motorcyclist myself, I appreciate the focus on uh, motorcycle safety as well. And that's something Lori can talk about, too, as someone involved with the Kansas Traffic Safety Resource Office. So, Lori, tell us a little bit about what your office will be doing in this event and um, what information and activities perhaps will be available there, too.
3: Um, We're going to have a booth set up and we'll have information regarding child passenger safety, motorcycle safety, impaired driving, distracted driving. We'll have information on um, graduated driver's licenses. Um, Something that's not quite traffic safety related, but it is related to home safety is we'll have Naloxone and Naterra bags available as well. Um, we'll have information on how to receive Naloxone, but we'll have deterra bags on hand at the event. Um, the biggest thing we're doing is a car seat check lane. We'll also have cornhole with um, drunk driving or marijuana goggles. You can use either to play to see what it's like to be impaired. Um, and then we're also gonna have our um, indoor outdoor thermometer to show the the temperature difference between inside the vehicle and outside the vehicle, because people don't always know just how hot it gets inside a car. So this kind of shows you the difference between the two. And,
0: and with then, the with the quick oh, change in temperature, that's a very important one to have. You know, uh, it was very yes. cold, or not very cold, but relatively chilly, like about a week ago. With the quick change to heat, it's it's time to be aware of those things.
3: Well, last year we had the thermometer at the event and. It was overcast. So it was like about 75 degrees outside, but inside the vehicle, it was 114. So it, it's nice to be, like, be able to show people that, that even on an overcast day, it can get very, very hot inside of a vehicle. Um, we'll also have KHP there. Um, the Highway Patrol is coming with their seatbelt convincers, so they'll get to see why it's such, a, such an important thing to have your seatbelt on.
0: And uh, you also mentioned the car seat checks, which I think is a very important topic to look into. Um, seat belts are very important. I'm a, I'm a helmet advocate, but I know how everyone out there maybe uh, not a fan of those. It's completely <laughs> fine. Your choice on that. I'm an advocate of helmets, uh, having been in an accident myself. But also car seats when in the, in the question of accidents or even not, just being safe in general. Car seat checks and being aware of how your car seat fits and how to properly use it, very important
3: oh yes very much so um we we aim to educate caregivers on how long to keep a child in a particular seat and why they need to keep the child in a certain seat until the the maximum time um and we also explain to them the the how to install the car seat correctly so that it's it's in there the safest way possible, and also how to buckle the child into the seat properly because they don't always know. You don't know what you don't know, so we're here to help teach.
0: And it's very, very appreciated. We're talking about 102 days of summer safety coming up May 25th, 26th, uh, Fort Riley. And this is taking place on post, Linda, but Can anyone come out? What's sort of the guidelines for attending?
4: Yep, absolutely. It is free and open to anyone that has access to Fort Riley. So come on out if you're in the area. We'll be, again, at the PX on the 25th, the main PX there. And on the 26th, we'll be at Irwin Army Community Hospital right out in the parking lots.
0: And uh, I have an acronym here, uh, SYDNEY, and I'm curious what that stands for oh, and, and what it means. absolutely.
4: Absolutely. Now, I love this one because SYDNEY stands for Simulated Impaired Driving Experience, and there's a really cool backstory for this one. So, these things were totally inoperable two months ago, and a young Boy Scout took these on as an Eagle project. And so, he has recently delivered these back to us just in time for our safety fair. And so, He will actually be out on the 25th at the PX with the uh, scouts from Troop 53 out of Wakefield. So please, parents, bring your teen drivers. Adults, come out. Take them for a spin. We want to put these things in use. We want to see them out there rolling. Come shake this young man's hand. The reality is, is this is going to be a tremendous asset to our youth intervention program. They are so cool. Uh, He put a lot of work into it, and these are going to potentially save lives. So this is a big deal. So we want to get the full bang for the buck on these, and and it's going to be awesome. I think they're a great addition to our program.
0: Wow, I can't imagine what type of work would go into like renovating and retrofitting or whatever needed to be done to bring these things up to, up to snuff.
4: We've had as many as six to eight scouts and adults helping. Uh, it was the trailers, there was welding, electrical, all sorts of work, batteries. So uh, great addition, great, great addition to the program, and, and we really appreciate the work that was put into them.
0: And we're running about a bit out of time, but I did want to turn it over to Lori one last time to talk about the importance of these types of experiences regarding the Sydney, particularly those simulated impaired driving um, uh, simulators, so to speak, uh, forgetting the last two letters of that acronym. (laughs) But uh, what's the importance of getting a chance to see what it's like to be impaired behind the wheel without actually having to go out and do it for real?
3: that's the whole point of this is you can do it in a safe environment you're not putting anyone's life at risk and you can see just how dangerous it is to be impaired behind a wheel um we do an event like this with teens and and they realize just how bad it is um we've we've done it where they're driving a golf cart with a um, a cell phone and they're texting and they're running over cones um so they get to see firsthand at a slow speed without putting anybody in danger how horrible it could be if you do this
0: very good and uh linda uh, as we're closing out i want to turn it over one last opportunity for any last words any last thoughts or important things we just need to get in and that for listeners that we just didn't get a chance to talk about
4: please come out please join us accidents are 100 percent preventable everybody is an important part of our team we want you to have fun enjoy your spring and summer activities but we want you to come back and be a part of our team on the work day uh, so come out enjoy we want to see you there
0: linda Lori, thank you so much for the time I appreciate it
4: thank you thank you so much
0: and that does it for our visit with fort riley big red one affairs and we're also going to transition now over to talking with manhattan housing authority we have a host of people waiting out in the waiting room for me so i'm gonna go grab them and be back here on in focus news radio kman and we are back here on in focus news radio kman thanks to all of our previous guests from fort riley and the big red one talking about various elements going on around the post uh, we'll check those out. Go to their Facebook pages. There's numerous events coming up, and they talked about them all. So you want, you'll want to check that out. We're going to switch gears now, talk about the Manhattan Housing Authority. In studio with me, we have Executive Director Aaron Estebro Thanks for being here, sir. Yeah,
5: good morning, Nick. Good morning.
0: And then we also have Administrative Assistant to the Executive Director, Deb Wooten. Deb, thanks for being here.
5: Good morning. Thank you
0: for having me. Of course. And we have the Board Chair, too, Jan Gallitzer. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Always appreciate a chance to catch up with the Housing Authority. You do very important work here. Here in the community, so it's always good to give uh, those listening a chance to hear about all the things you're doing, and a good opportunity to do that is starting off talking about kind of what you're doing and where you're at as an organization. And uh, we wanted to talk about some of the numbers that you're seeing here in the community to start off. So, wh- where are you at, sort of occupancy-wise? Where are you at with your residents?
6: Yeah. So thanks, Nick. We um, housing is such a critical part of a community, right? So we are providing that public housing. Um, and we're trying to do it in the best fashion we can. And the idea, our goal, like I think I mentioned last uh, last month, was to get to 100% occupancy because, you know, if I'm a taxpayer or I'm a I'm a concerned citizen, I'm you know providing the goods to pay for public housing, and we know that the need is significant. And I'll get into those numbers in just a minute. But so there, there really is no acceptable um excuse to not have our our units completely full and so we're striving to get that so we have safe decent um sanitary housing that's available to those people that need it and it really just to demonstrate um our overall capacity right now we have 190 leased units of uh, out of, of just over 200 so we're we're right over 93 94% um our family sites, we have several family sites around town, um, and there we have two of those that are completely full. So on one hand, we like to see those full. We want to see our families have a place to go. But on the other hand, um, that means there's some families that aren't going to be able to get into our public housing. And to that note, um, uh, for those interested in kind of our wait list, the wait list is something that even before I was at the housing authority, people are like, how does this wait list work? Or what is a wait list? you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and we do our best to demonstrate to people that apply that they're, they have a place in line, right? And as those units, um, become available, then they move up in the line, but it's also a little bit, there's some variables, there's some preferences associated with that. If you're fleeing domestic violence or if you've been displaced because of a natural disaster or uh, your home becomes condemned um, by the city or a local government, um, then you might have a, a preference where you get moved up in the line. But overall, like I mentioned, we have just uh, about 14 units across our entire uh, portfolio that are available to rent. And of those, we have 158 people waiting for one-bedroom units. Um, and we have 74 applicants for two-bedroom and 48 for three-bedroom, and 45 for four-bedroom. So that's people that we know that have demonstrated that they have a need for those types of units that we so we don't have available at this point. Um, and that's kind of what our waiting list looks like. Also, we're serving, you know, overall, just kind of broke down some numbers to give the listeners a, an idea of the scope of the work that we do, but we're serving about 913 individuals um, in 266 uh, public housing that are includes families, 266 families, um, also 504 individuals in our housing choice voucher program, which is also known as Section 8. Uh, one, one note on that, and we'll t- kind of tie into the economic impact here, is that we provide subsidy to private landlords all over the community mm-hmm. through the Section 8 program. And we've worked with 89 landlords, Um, in Manhattan area in the last year and provided over $1.52 million, um, in direct assistance to kind of help. So it's not just our public housing units themselves, but it's also the subsidy we, we put out into the community. Um, it's really, we, we've really been focusing. And one thing I've learned over the last year is how important it is to show that we are tied into the community, uh, what our impact is to the community and as our, our board chair reminds me often, you know, what, what our impact is financially also and how, how we can best uh, leverage those federal dollars that come in and keep them local. And maybe if Jan wants to talk a little bit about that.
7: Well, um, I've, I've been, really, been on the board quite a long time, and I've had the opportunity to be the chair f- through some really important times at the Housing Authority. And um, I'm really proud to say that we've had an impact, um, Aaron tells me, of over $20 million to the community in the time that I've been on. Um, And that doesn't talk about the fact that if we're housing almost 1,000 individuals, um, the, the fact that they have a home makes it possible for them to do things they might not have been able to do, like have good jobs and stuff like that. So um, we're really proud of that. And um, a really important goal for me is when we've been provided um, dollars by HUD, um, your tax dollars, Um, I've been um, very, very strongly an advocate for making sure that we hire local individuals to do the kind of work that we needed done. Um, When we got eight million dollars to um, rebuild the towers. We hired local engineers and they hired local contractors because it was really important for me to see that um, income trickle down into the, into the community where people buy groceries and rent their own homes and pay their own mortgages. So um, I, I feel really, really strongly about that. And we're about to embark on another exciting project um, where there will be many dollars involved. And I've been very insistent that we do the same thing again.
0: And it's a good thing to be uh, dogged about, because it's very easy for occasionally, uh, as you're doing projects, or as you look into the community, or as you hire people, that maybe they're not necessarily local. So having that focus as a, as a locally serving organization, it's, it's something very good to have. So yeah,
7: I think it's really, really important.
0: And as you talk about, I'm going to touch back a little bit about something Aaron sure. mentioned regarding um, kind of your occupancy rate. And you mentioned 190 lease out of 204 <laughs> available. And I don't know perhaps what you're I know you want 100%. Of course the goal is always 100%, but in this <laughs> housing market I constantly hear about struggles filling apartments and struggles filling or filling just uh open units and you know with 14 open uh units I wonder how you feel in terms of where you're reaching or the levels you're reaching. I know 100% is the goal, but in the market right now how how does 93% feel? We're
6: if it's I think th- there's a misalignment of what the market has across mm-hmm. the community, right? So there's a lot of units in our, in our community that are, are not um, appropriate, not safe, sanitary units uh, for families. Where ours, we have a higher standard that is um, necessary. So we're, we really are striving to make those units available and attractive to people as they move in. Um, and as I, I mentioned earlier our, our wait list exceeds um, any kind of you know capacity that we have so it's it's really just a numbers game of uh, we give 14 days for somebody to, to, to tell us that they want that unit now if they decide on the 14th day after they've been offered that unit then we start the process over again so there might be a month where a units on the market so to say um, but it's really just because we're respecting the rights and going through the process I think as we get inch up closer to um, having 95 or, t- or about 200 of our 204 units leased, um, that's it's just going to depend on the the moment in time of because people do want to move, they do leave and change jobs or, or go somewhere else. So there's always going to be a little bit of a, a vacancy, and then we run into the numbers game of turning units um, in a month and and. Getting people to be responsive and not, I think that's the other, the other side of the coin is, yeah, we want to provide the units, but we also want people that are ready to, um, that want to be on our lists and be offered those units to actually uh, be willing to accept them when they become at the top, because then it just prolongs and delays the process for the next person that's in line behind them. They have to wait another two or three weeks.
0: I imagine the, the the lease situation of the applicant or the potential uh, tenant is is probably one of the major uh, factors in, in whether they can take that availability is my thought. If it doesn't line up when their lease ends, can sure. they afford to to buy out their lease or um, pay whatever fee might be associated with that? I can imagine that's perhaps a, a stumbling block for people.
6: Yeah, it's got to be, especially when it comes to um, utilizing it like a Section Eight voucher or because you can't you can't always. Um, well, you certainly, it's very hard to predict when you're going to be at the top of the list um, and when the federal funding is available. So, yeah, those life circumstances of I'm in a lease and I just signed it and it's good for, you know, it's not up for eight more months, then that's a, that's a conversation that we would like to have, though. And maybe our housing manager or myself and our office could, could see if that landlord or somebody was, was willing to um, work with that tenant. I think overall the community is better when somebody that does need to be in public housing um, is allowed to go into public housing rather than them getting into a situation where they're getting behind on rent or unable to afford where they're at and so it's it's a balancing act
0: yeah, potential, there's some potential avenues there, depending on your situation, for you to work with them and be able to help them out in that. Um, okay, interesting. And that $20 million economic impact you brought up, that's, that's a big number, first of all. But I also think if if there's a way you can calculate what the impact of those thousand individuals that are being associated with that or assisted through the programming that you provide, that might bring that number into a whole new level. Because while I know the folks you work with are tend to maybe be on the lower end of the income scale – the work they do is vital for this community to function. Um, even even low-paid work is incredibly important for this community to, to operate as it does. And the people who qualify for public housing come from a wide array of
6: different professions. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, anybody could be a, from somebody that's an adjunct professor to uh, students at K-State to uh, just new teachers or um somebody that's on social security uh disability that has a fixed income. Uh it just kinda runs the gamut, but uh we 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 wanna see those dollars that do come in, um that twenty million dollars stay local and then the impact is really just a, a shot in the dark. How how many of those hundred and or almost a thousand people um all the work they do, all the shopping they do, all the the services they utilize across the the uh, town, um, that that's not something that we can really put a number on and measure. But it's certainly a lot bigger than 20 million. And I think it's time for our
0: last break of the morning. So when we come back, we'll close out our conversation and talk about more things going on with the Manhattan Housing Authority. You're listening to In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. And we're back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN, speaking with Aaron Estabrook, Deb Wooten. Jan Gallitzer from the Manhattan Housing Authority. And but um, as we were in break, we were over here kind of applauding Deb for all the work she does. And um, I wanted to get a chance just to get to know you and how long you've been at the Housing Authority and, and kind of what your role is there.
5: Yes, um, I've been with the Housing Authority in June, it will be a year. Um, I really enjoy what I do there. I For me, I am a people person. Um, it's always been uh, for me to help people, having have been in the health field for over 25 years and working with students at uh, Job Corps. And it, it's kind of the same, but not really. Um, I'm dealing with adults now. And so with adults, you know, you for me, you treat everybody the same at their level. You have to meet people where they are. And so that's exactly what I do. And the people that come or they call, they're in need. And so I am there to help them with that need. Um, I set the tone for the office. Um, If they come in and I'm feeling some kind of way, then they're going to feel some kind of way. So I have to be at an even keel because they're coming because they are in need. So I don't want to add to their stress.
0: Yeah, Aaron and Jen were referring to you as the front line yes. for the housing authority. So as people come in, you're the first face they see or voice they hear, perhaps.
5: Yes, that is correct. Yeah, they will see me first or I answer all the calls. Um, yeah, and I do, I help them navigate this process of getting into housing.
0: And, you know we were talking about stigma during the break. So perhaps it's a good idea to just talk about the stigma itself. There there perhaps is a little bit of a perception out there, a negative perception of what public housing is and the type of people it serves and the situations they come from. And I'm curious from your perspective, what are the people? What are the people you deal with or the people you work with dealing with? What are the people you serve Um, like? What are the experiences they come from? And how does that counter perhaps some of the misconceptions that you perhaps hear that I definitely hear day in and day out?
5: People come from all different circumstances, and that should not matter. They come because they need housing. So it's my job to help them with that process. Um, I don't see the negative. I really don't. Um, If people are going through and they need help, I'm supposed to help them. So that's what I tr- I treat everybody that comes to me that has a need. It's okay that you need help. It's really okay.
0: And it is mental health month, so it's important to be talking about this conversation yes. too. Like
5: if we were if we
0: help if we add into the catastrophization, if we continue if we don't if we respond in a very like hyper negative way or stressed out way, that as you talk about puts the energy into the person you're now working with and hoping to help. And that doesn't help.
5: Exactly. And you, you have to give people grace. You have to, wherever they are, I'm there with you. And sometimes they just need to talk. And so I will let them talk because whatever they're going through, it ha- it's nothing to do with me, but they need somebody to listen to them. And so I will listen to them and I will comfort them in any way I can.
0: How common is that type of call compared to other calls for service or other calls for help?
5: Well, most of the comfort comes from people walking in. And one example that I can recall is a lady, she, her husband lived in Manhattan and she was coming from another state and she wanted to, he needed help because he was not well. And she was in shambles. She was very emotional and wondering how this was all going to work for her. And I assured her that it was going to work for her and that we will get through this process together. And so we kept in contact and I do that with other people. Um, And now she's like at the top of the waiting list. So that it worked out and, but for the calls, most of the time when people call, they really just want to know what's my place on the list. Yeah, so.
0: You know, Deb, um This is hard work, what you do. So I'm curious how you handle it. Um, You know, you talk about dealing with uh, or people dealing with very hard situations and people dealing with very emotional circumstances. And uh, sometimes they call to just vent about that to you. And and I'm curious how you how you manage that yourself.
5: (laughs) But, um, yeah, I. It's it is manageable because I know the people that are coming or that are calling. Um, they, it's nice to know that they can talk to me about it because um, sometimes you just need to get it off of you, and so I can take it. I'm, I'm, I got big shoulders and I can take it. And it's I just want them to leave. Or, after the call is over, feeling like they have accomplished something, that's important to me that they leave the office or we hang up that call and they feel like they have um, gotten something done
0: and and I know i'm I'm talking about hard experiences, but there's there's positives there too. You oh. talk about being able to to help someone, and now they're at the top of the waiting list. and I imagine a year in, what, it must be feel very rewarding in a way. But what are some of those like success? What are your feelings as you see these success stories come to the top?
5: My feelings are of joy and accomplishment and happiness for the tenant, because we made it through this process. When you came in, you were, you know, in a state of I don't know how this is going to work, and now we're at the top. So it is possible. It, it's there's. Patience. Um, it, yeah, it, you just really need to have patience. And so
7: I, I, I want to add um, in the time.
5: No? Sorry, we're just about out of time. Oh,
7: okay.
0: I want to I wanna let you answer, but we're, we're <laughs> like 10 <laughs> seconds from being out. So okay. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll have to get you back on here again okay. to get another t- part of this conversation because this has been very enlightening and we can do this for a lot longer. mhaks.com if you want to learn more about the Manhattan Housing Authority. Aaron. Jan Deb, thanks for being here.
7: Thank sure. you. Very welcome.